Well, good morning, and Happy New Year. Uh, Jonathan uh, <clears throat> talked about how his neighborhood sounded like the Redcoats were coming. My neighborhood sounded like more modern warfare, like World War III uh, last night. <clears throat> and uh, so it was, uh, it was quite an evening. Uh, Tim, as you know, is, uh, Pastor Tim has gone this week. He's uh, vacationing with, uh, with Cherie, and they're having a, a very wonderful, restful time. And I know uh, Tim got to be out in the woods a little bit, which I think restores his soul, as we talked about in prayer time this morning. But he'll be back next week, and um, we'll continue on in 1 Timothy and uh, Paul's instructions to, the, to Timothy and the church in Ephesus. But um, when Tim asked me if I would, <clears throat> if I would preach this week, um, I, first of all, I wasn't thinking that it was New Year's Day. I, I not that I probably could have said no anyway, but just thinking about what last night was going to be like, not, you know, probably not the greatest uh, night right before you get up to preach. So there's a method to his madness, I know. But, um, but we talked about what I, what I would preach on, what I continue in the First Timothy series, and would I, or would I do something different. I pretty much think he didn't want me to mess up his First Timothy series, so he told me to pick something else. And uh, so, so when I... As soon, as soon as we decided that, I knew exactly what I wanted to preach about, and I wanted to preach about Jesus as our shepherd. Um, I have a, a little bit of confession to make. Throughout this past year, as I went through the examination, testing um, process as for being an elder here, I, there was a little bit of reluctance on my part. Just a, just a little bit of... of um, holding back and wondering, do I really want to do this or not? And Peter says, you know, that, that an elder should not serve under compulsion. And, um, and so I was a little, there was a, just this little, this little uh, worry that I had. Like, am I, am I being compelled to do this? I love Tim. I love Jesse. I know the, um, I know the burden that they carry uh, as the shepherds of this church, as the elders and pastors of this church. And it's too much for two guys. I'll just tell you that. It's, there's too many of us, and we're sheep, you know. Uh, we bite. Um, we jump in ditches, and then when they get us out, we jump right back in again. I mean, um, and so it's a lot, it's a lot for, for a pastor. And I, I really didn't know if this was the right thing for me until the week I was installed. And Tim preached on 1 Timothy 3, and as he went through the roles of a pastor and of an elder, I was overwhelmed with a desire to be that for you. I felt this, um, uh, just this love for this congregation and for this flock that, um, that caught, honestly caught me by surprise, not, not in a negative way, just like the, the depth of it and the, and the way that it came over me. And so um, there was no compulsion. There was, there was no reluctance when, um, when we got to that part of the, of the members uh, meeting when, when um, Pete and Jesse and Tim all prayed for me and um, just a sense of joy and excitement about the opportunity to serve alongside of you and alongside of Tim and Jesse. Um, and the, so that's why I'm drawn to this whole shepherd passage, because, you know, that's what a pastor or, or an elder is. They're, they're an under-shepherd. If Jesus is the good shepherd, then we're under-shepherds. 
And, you know, the shepherd analogy is used all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, both, both as an analogy and actually, actually as a vocation. Um, David was pro- probably the most famous shepherd, right? He, his qualification for fighting Goliath was that when he was a shepherd in the fields watching over the sheep and a lion or a bear would attack the sheep, he says he would grab them by the beard and kill them. That's pretty cool. I mean, when you think about it. And, uh, you know, we looked at Psalm 23 in, in, um, in intercessory prayer this morning. And we, there's the line in there that the rod and the staff, they comfort me. And, if you, you know, the rod and the staff, the, a rod is a weapon. Like, that's, if, if he was grabbing them with one hand by the beard, he was beating them to death with the rod in, in the other hand. That's what David was doing. And just this idea of not of violence, but of protection uh, for your flock and the desire that you would have, the, the fact that, that David said, hey, I've, I mean, this is just a dude. This is just a big, tall dude. I could, I've taken on lions and bears before. I can do this. That was his qualification. He was a shepherd. Shepherds are tough dudes. And um, they were not always highly thought of, but they were the sort of blue-collar workers of their day. I think maybe they were the, you know, the linemen. I don't know if you've seen any of these pictures of linemen, uh, electrical linemen out in these blizzards that have come out, these guys, you know, uh, on, in, in um, cherry picker buckets or, uh, or, or climbing up poles and there's just ice everywhere, you know, th- I, you know that's, their, that's the role. That's, you you got to do what you got to do. And that's what shepherds were like. And so they, they took care of their flock. Um, and since... Since I've been at Grace, I've really been struck by the way that Tim and Jesse protect this flock. In fact, there's a couple times where I thought maybe they need to lighten up a little bit. I mean, they're kind of intense. And then you quickly realize that just a little yeast leavens the whole loaf. That just a little impurity, just a little... You know, you go one degree off, it's not very long before you're, you're really far away. And so that's the role of the shepherd is to make sure that the flock isn't getting one degree off, is to make sure that the flock is protected from the bears and the lions from without and the wolves from within. And then the events of this week happened. We had a, a situation this week where somebody that's been caught up in a false gospel has tried to influence Others in the flock here. It's not the first time it's happened. It's not the last time it's going to happen. But man, the, uh, the papa bear in me came out when I thought about what this person who was trying to mislead somebody in the congregation and just how, I mean, kind of angry it makes me, kind of protective it makes me feel. And I'm thinking, you know, no way. Not, not not on my watch where God has placed me to watch over these people. I'm not going to let it happen. And you quickly realize why they're so intense and why they're so careful. So it's providential. I mean, we're reformed, so everything's providential, right? But I mean, it's providential that this week with this happening, we would teach this passage on what a shepherd looks like. So we're looking at John chapter 10. You can, you can turn there. Let me give you a little bit of context. In chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man, and he ticks off the Pharisees, as I think he loves doing, um, as he's wanted to do. He's 
because he's undermining their authority. And we'll talk a little bit more about why they felt that he was underlying, um, undermining their authority. Um, so we're going to look at then what happens directly after he heals the blind man. Uh, now, now John, John puts these stories in this order. We don't know uh, specifically if this happened right on, on the heels of it, but John put it this way through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in this order on purpose. So they go together. Um, this story of, a, of Jesus healing a blind man, the Pharisees' reaction to it, and then Jesus starting to talk about what a shepherd is because what he's really doing is he's sending a message to the Pharisees that you guys are not good shepherds. And I'm going to show you what a good shepherd looks like. So we're going to focus on the first five verses of John chapter 10. Now, this story is, inter- is interesting the way John's set it up. He's actually told the story in two parts or the teaching in two parts. The first five verses are sort of the, the sermon. And then 7 through 18 is sort of like a commentary, Jesus's own commentary on the first five verses that we have in the scripture. So I'm going to read uh, verses 1 to 18 just to give us the whole context. But we're going to focus on just the first five verses as we look at this scripture today. So let me read John 10, verses 1 through 18. This is the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning as a people in need of a shepherd. Lord, there are 
voices and ideas and philosophies and princes and principalities and spirits of the air, all of these things, Lord, that would harm us, that would pull us away from your truth, that would starve us, that would harm us, that would scatter us. And Lord, we're so grateful that you are the shepherd that protects us, that rescues us. And Lord, as we look at this passage this morning, would you speak into our hearts? Lord, would you bring us hope? Would you bring us reassurance that if you are our shepherd, we are protected? Would you help us to hear your voice and know it? Would you help us to not listen to the voices of strangers, of thieves and robbers? Lord, would you give us discernment to know the difference? And Father, would you speak to our hearts and our minds through this passage? Lord, that you would be glorified, that your kingdom would be built. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, as we look at this passage, we're going to look at these first five verses, as I said, and there's kind of four, it's kind of four players in this passage, and we're going to use those four players as our outline, okay? So, if you look at the passage, you'll see the thief and the robber, that's one player. You'll see the gatekeeper, the shepherd, and then you'll see the flock, We're going to go through these first three and see what Jesus is teaching us, and then we'll draw some applications when we look at the flock and how that affects us. So the first player here is the thief and the robber. In verse 1, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, if I was to tell this story, I would not start the story with the thief and the robber. Right? I would start with the, probably the shepherd, and then I would talk about what a great shepherd uh, he was, and, and then I might talk about the gatekeeper, and then I'd probably get to the thief and the robber. But Jesus starts with the thief and the robber. Why does he do that? Well, it was probably because uh, this, was the, this was the danger that he was speaking against. Um, the... the um, the sheepfold that sheep would be in, when, when Jesus used this analogy, there would be in villages, there would be a sheep pen. And several families would put their sheep in the sheep pen. And they would hire a, a gatekeeper and he would watch the door of the sheep pen. And so robbers and thieves would know that they couldn't go through the door, so they come over the wall, right? And when Jesus says robbers and thieves, who's he talking about? Well, let's look at the context. He's just talked about He's just healed a blind man, and the Pharisees have come out, and they've been angry with Jesus about healing the blind man. And so when Jesus starts the story with thieves and robbers, when John puts this right after the story of the Pharisees being upset with Jesus about healing the blind man, you can see pretty much that the first group, at least, that Jesus is referring to are the Pharisees. Why were the Pharisees mad at Jesus? Go back a chapter and let's look at just a few verses in this story. So uh, Jesus is passing by, the scripture says in verse one, and he sees a a man who was blind from birth. And so in verse six, he spits on the ground and he made mud with the saliva and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so what does the man do? He goes and he washes the mud off. And when the mud comes off, he can see. 
This man who was blind from birth is miraculously healed by Jesus. So then you go to verse 11, and the Pharisees are asking him, um, I'm sorry, the neighbors are asking him what happened, and he answers, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. So then they bring the man to the Pharisees, and then you see the problem in verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath day. And you can pick, you can pick which Sabbath rule that Jesus violated. I mean, he healed a man on the Sabbath. That might be bad enough, but he actually made mud. And see, this was probably the bigger issue that the Pharisees were talking about. In Jesus' day, the religious establishment um, kept the people basically under control, under their thumb, by creating all of these extra rules and regulations to go around the law that Moses had given them. So it's a, it's, it was a law that you would rest on the Sabbath, that you would set the day aside just as God, the, the creator, set the day aside at the end of creation and you would rest. But then what the Pharisees would do is they would create extra rules. And we, we've, I think we've talked about this on a Wednesday night. Those rules, they would call them fences. So you'd have the law and then they would put fences around the outside of the law to keep you from getting close to breaking the law. And then sometimes they put fences around the fences and then sometimes fences around the fences and you ended up with this incredibly intricate, complicated set of rules that the Pharisees made up. They added a religious burden to the people and then they were the arbiters. They were the ones who said um, what was right and what was wrong. Not, not the Bible. I mean, they, they would refer to the Bible, but then they would add in all of these extra rules and regulations around the law. And, and if somebody broke the rules, it was as bad as, as, as actually violating the law. So the, the, the Pharisees, they see this man who is, who is blind from birth, who has been healed. And in verse 16, they say, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Not, wow. This guy who's been blind since birth can see. Not, wow, we, we need to go see who this rabbi is that's healing people. He's saying some remarkable things. He's, do, he's showing some remarkable signs and wonders. Let's go figure this out. No, 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 no. Do you know what this guy did? He spit on the ground and he made mud. How dare he? That's all I cared about. And when you look at thieves and robbers... These are the people that will come in and steal the joy, steal the truth of the gospel away from us. They will, thieves and robbers, sometimes in, in, this, in this situation with the Pharisees, they were taking the role of the arbiter of what was right and what was wrong, of what, what was righteous and what was unrighteous, and they were adding onto it, they were piling onto it their own rules and regulations. And they took advantage of their position then. They kept people in a state of fear. They, because when you, when you add rules, when you add things to the, to the law, or when you add things to the gospel, what you do is you make people fearful of whether they're ever going to measure up. And that's not the gospel. L let me tell you what the gospel is. You don't measure up. You don't measure up. And that, that's 
You don't have to worry about that anymore. Christ measures up for us. It's Christ's righteousness that saves us. Only a thief and a robber would come in and tell you something different. And so Jesus uses this analogy of the thief and the robber coming over the wall. And he uses the analogy of a shepherd very intentionally. And when the, shep- when the Pharisees heard this analogy of the shepherd, they, they had the Old Testament memorized. And so they would have immediately gone to some of the Old Testament passages that related to uh, shepherds. And there are two very, very well-known passages. We're going to look at both of them briefly. We're going, to spend a, we're going to look at Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. We're going to spend a lot more time in Ezekiel 34. We read from that this morning, and we're going to go back through that reading. But if you look at Jeremiah 23, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Woe! To the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. So... Jesus talks about shepherds, and then he starts talking about thieves and robbers, and the Pharisees would hear this, and they would likely begin to think, I wonder if he's talking about Psalm 23 or Jeremiah 23. And they would probably come to the conclusion, after having dealt with Jesus already, that he was talking about Jeremiah 23. He was talking about the bad shepherds who had scattered the flock and driven them away. And not attended to them. Because the Pharisees were not attending to the people. They were using their position for their own power, for their own profit, for their own benefit. And they were not taking care of the people. And, and Jesus hated that. At one point, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. It's not, a, it's not a compliment. Somebody that looks good on the outside, but is rotten and dead on the inside. And that's how Jesus felt about the Pharisees. They would have known that he was that he was talking about this passage in Jeremiah. They also probably would have known about this passage in Ezekiel 34, verses uh, 2 through 4, says this, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Not a good day to be a Pharisee and have yourself compared to that. So if we look at, if we look at what... Um, Jesus says about the thieves and robbers, and we look at what Jeremiah and Ezekiel say, we get a picture of what thieves and robbers look like. Let me give you some characteristics of a thief and robber. First of all, they're dangerous. They come over the wall. Nobody goes over the wall with good good intent. Secondly, they're sneaky. They avoid the gatekeeper. They know the gatekeeper won't open the door, so they sneak in. They're deceitful and deceptive. Third, they do the work of the evil one. A robber or thief is not concerned about the well-being of the sheep. Like the enemy, 
in, uh, that Jesus talks about in verse 10, they only come to steal, kill, or destroy the flock. Not protect it and not to build it up. Fourth, they're cowardly. They run away at the first sign of danger. When the going gets tough, the thieves and robbers run away. They are only out for their own skin. Verses tw- uh, in uh, John 10, verses 12 and 13 says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And so Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, You are nothing better than hired hands. You don't treat the sheep like they're yours. You treat the sheep like it's just a job. And there's, there, are, there are too many people in the job of leading in churches, leading in ministries that are just in it for the paycheck. They're just in it for, it's a great vocation. And so they're not protecting the sheep. And at the first sign of danger, they are cowardly and they run away. Fourth, they, they breed confusion. They will scatter the sheep. Jeremiah and Ezekiel both talk about shepherds who, are, who scatter the sheep. They don't take care of them. They don't keep them together. They don't give them a, a, a unified vision. They don't lead them to green pastures. They don't make them lie down by still waters. They just sort of let the sheep go wherever they will. And, as, and as, long as, the, as long as the hired hand is being taken care of, taken care of as long as he's getting what he needs, kind of lets the sheep do what the sheep want to do. And sheep left to do what they want to do will scatter. And then finally, they will lose. If you go back to Ezekiel 34, 10, he says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves, I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Thieves and robbers will face judgment. Thieves and robbers will lose. And sometimes when you look at these thieves and robbers, you know what they do is they they pose as gatekeepers. Uh, And this, this applies to us now as well. People will come against the flock with false teaching and sometimes they'll even come from within the flock in Acts 20, uh, Paul promises this actually as he's, as he's uh, talking to a group of elders. In Acts 20, uh, 29 and 30, he says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So what does that look like today? Well, it looks like false religions. People that want you to think that they're Christian and they're not. If you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, if you talk to a person from the, a Mormon from Latter-day Saints Church, they will tell you that they are Christians. Oh, there's no difference between you and us. Maybe we've got some slightly different books that we use, but really, really we're all part of the same thing. They are not Christians. They are thieves and robbers. They've been led astray. Maybe there are people in those churches that don't understand what they've walked into, but they are 
perverted. Their theology is perverted. And they are thieves and robbers. How about prosperity preachers? They preach a message of health and wealth, telling you that God will always heal you. God will always give you material prosperity if you just have strong enough faith. And by the way, you can show me how strong your faith is by giving me money. That's what a prosperity preacher does. He promises you something that is not biblical, adds things onto the gospel, tries to obligate God to doing things for you. If you just give enough, if you just believe hard enough, if you just sacrifice enough, well, then you can have great health. You, God will heal you. God will give you prosperity. It's, it's not true. It's, it's wrong. and I mean, it's evil for people to be telling people that. And people are being led astray all the time. They are scattering like sheep when they hear this message, chasing after whatever teacher they can find or whatever church they can find that will give them this message that makes them feel better about their own effort to find salvation. And really, any message that says Jesus' death and resurrection is not enough is coming from a thief and a robber. If someone preaches to you a gospel that requires you to do anything to earn your salvation or keep your salvation, that's not the gospel of Jesus. That's not the gospel the New Testament writers preached. Paul warns us in Galatians 3, he says, do not be bewitched. Don't be deceived. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, he says, you're saved by grace through faith and not of yourselves. You can't do anything extra to earn or keep your salvation. Are we supposed to put sin to death? Of course we are. But you couldn't do that without the Holy Spirit. It's not your effort that puts sin to death. It's your openness to the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit working through you that puts sin to death. And I don't know about you, but I wish it worked like that. But it doesn't. It's a process. It takes time for us to be sanctified as we walk in the Spirit, as we follow the Good Shepherd, and we see sin put to death in our lives, area after area after area. But if you think that you've got to get all of your sin all put to death so that, so that you can go to heaven, so that you can be with Jesus eternally, that is a lie. It's, it's not just a lie. It's like, there's a reason that Jesus said that, that people that lead people astray should have a millstone tied around their neck and dropped into the sea because that's what that teaching is. It's a millstone around your neck. It's a weight to carry around. And it's not the joy or the peace that come from trusting in Christ. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Romans 8. You know how much condemnation that means? None. Not a little bit. You're like, well, I yelled at my wife this morning. I'm sorry. Don't do that. Confess your sin. Ask for Christ's forgiveness. But you didn't lose your salvation because you got in an argument. You didn't lose your salvation because you embezzled money. You, didn't you can't lose your salvation over your sin unless you 
feel absolutely no desire to repent, and you, then, you're, then you probably don't have the Spirit of God living in you. But if you, brothers and sisters, if you have any kind of holy despair, that is a good sign. Because it, it, it's not a despair that comes from, I don't know if I'm saved or not. It, it's a despair that comes from Jesus Christ sacrificed his life for me. And this sin is another sin that put him on that cross. And we don't, we don't live to receive salvation. There's nothing we do in our lives to receive salvation. But we live out of our salvation. Because Christ saved us, we want to live holy lives. We want to pursue righteousness. So don't believe the lie that you have to add anything to the gospel. Don't believe the lie that you, that you have, like there's just like some, some I don't even know, I don't, I don't even know how you get there. Like what, what's the measuring stick? Like what's the point that you'd have to get past so that you could earn your salvation? It's impossible. It's, and that's just a millstone around your neck. So, you know, why, why am I passionate about this? Why am I... Why am I so frustrated? Why are we so intense when somebody comes in with a false gospel or, you know, especially those gospels, gospels that are pernicious, that are just maybe a little fence around what the real gospel is that add just a little bit to it? Well, because we're gatekeepers, because I'm a gatekeeper, it's my responsibility to only let in the shepherd, to not let anybody in the sheep pen other than who I've been hired by the people who own the sheep to let in and out. So the gatekeeper in this passage is the, is the, next, uh, is the next person. The gate, gatekeeper doesn't get a lot of ink. He just gets one quick little mention. Um, he's hired to watch the flock. He guards the door. Sometimes he's called the under-shepherd. They would, they would have a, like I said before, they'd have a sheep pen and they would, several families would put their flocks in and they would hire a gatekeeper. They would hire an under-shepherd and the under-shepherd guarded the door. The under-shepherd knew who the shepherd was. If you're going to be a good gatekeeper, you have to know the shepherd because you got to make sure you don't let anybody else in. We've spoken a lot about gatekeepers in our study of 1 Timothy. The elders and the deacons of this church serve this role as gatekeeper. Our job is to keep the sheep in the pen safe. Our job is to watch the wall and make sure nothing comes over it. Our job is to make sure the false shepherd doesn't get in and take the sheep out and scatter them. We don't let anyone in who could be a danger to the sheep. In fact, if we do our job well, the only way that thieves and robbers do come in is over the wall. Because they can't get in through the door. And so they'll, they'll sneak in deceptively and cowardly. And they'll try to deceive the sheep into coming with them. We have to be vigilant. This is why we have a long examination process for elders. It's why we look for mature, godly men to be deacons. It's why we have a membership covenant. It's why we do background checks on nursery workers. It's why we really want to get to know people well before we allow them into position of leadership. We're gatekeepers. It's our watch, and our job is to protect the sheep. In Jesus' day, again, the Pharisees were supposed to be the gatekeepers. They clearly were not. They were more worried about themselves. They were bad shepherds. They were exactly the shepherds that were warned about 
and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And here's the worst part. The Yahweh worshiping religious religion in Jesus' day had been perverted and stolen away from the people, and it was an inside job. The very leaders who were entrusted to take care of God's people betrayed them, and Jesus saw that. A gatekeeper who does his job poorly, who is weak or neglectful, is bad enough. But you know what? A gatekeeper who abuses his position to fleece the sheep gets a special kind of judgment. Turn back to Ezekiel 34, and let's look at verses 7 through 10. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd, because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and I will put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. The Pharisees had to hear this and think, who is this guy? How dare he talk to us like this? So you as the flock, how do you know if you have a good gatekeeper? Well, I think you have to look around. Look at, look at your gatekeepers. Just look at these passages and look at your gatekeepers. Are your gatekeepers fat and well-fed while the sheep are starving? Are your gatekeepers, are, excuse me, are there lost sheep who are not pursued or injured sheep who are not cared for? You know, I, I've seen, I've seen uh, uh, fat gatekeepers. We've all seen fat gatekeepers. You see them on the news. You see these guys that, you know, they really need that fourth private jet for their ministry. They really need to, you know, there's a, there's a whole Instagram um, channel called Preachers and Sneakers. It's, and it, it, they're not talking about like a New Balance 840s, okay? They're talking about like 200 $300, $400 sneakers. And it's like, cool, it's hip. It's ridiculous. If you have nice sneakers, I apologize, but don't wear them in the pulpit, for sure. There are injured sheep who are not cared for. There are lost sheep who are not pursued. I, I've, I've heard of churches that like will tell people they can't serve on the worship team because they don't have the right look. That's a bad gatekeeper that says that to somebody. Are the sheep being scattered? Are they becoming prey for the, pre for the predators? Because the gatekeepers aren't paying attention. Or worse, are the gatekeepers the predators? And there's far too many stories out there, far too many stories of people in gatekeeper positions and ministry positions taking advantage of the flock, taking advantage of individuals of sexual predators, of financial predators. This is evil. And as the flock, we need to know how to recognize bad gatekeepers and pray that God would bring righteous ones. So then, if that's a bad gatekeeper, what does a good, cape, good, good gatekeeper do? 
Well, he guards the flock. He doesn't let anyone in who's not the shepherd, but he guards the door itself. And this is interesting. Jesus takes the, this analogy to another level in verses um, 7 through 9 of John chapter 10. And he says this, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is the door. The gatekeeper protects the door. We protect the message. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life in John 14, 6. The gatekeeper's job is to make sure that people don't think anything else is the way, that anything else is the truth, that anything else is the life. Only Jesus, only the gospel. That's the gatekeeper's job. So that brings us then to the shepherd. Uh, verses 2 to 4 say this, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And if you go down to verse 11 and then 14 to 18, you get more of this idea of what a, sh a good shepherd is. Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd, verse 14. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life for my sheep. Excuse me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And listen to this. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. This is what a good shepherd looks like. A good shepherd knows his sheep. A good shepherd's sheep know him. And the good shepherd leads his sheep and the good shepherd is willing to die for his sheep. And when Jesus is your good shepherd, he has the ability not just to die for you, but to rise again for you. So again, this picture of the good shepherd is back in this passage in Ezekiel. So we read this passage, but I just, I want you to, to listen to me uh, read this. And here's what, I, here's what I'd like for you to pay attention to. Pay attention to all the I statements. Because all the I statements describe what a good shepherd looks like. Just in verses 11 to 16 of Ezekiel 34. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I, will bring, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. 
I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong, I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. This is an incredible list. Notice God's not saying that he's going to have somebody else do this. But God says that I am going to play this role in my people's lives. I personally am going to be the shepherd of my sheep. I'm going to bind up their wounds. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to feed them. I'm going to lead them to good pasture. This is good news. And furthermore, we know that this good shepherd is Jesus because Ezekiel and Jeremiah both actually prophesy who this good shepherd will be. If you go to the end or towards uh, down farther in this passage in Ezekiel 34, verse 23, you'll see that he says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. And Jeremiah 23, 5, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So you might be thinking, well, David's the shepherd. No, this was written three centuries after David. This is the prophecy that out of the line of David would come Jesus, would come the Messiah to be our shepherd. This was ordained before the beginning of time. And so you can see how all of these passages define Christ, a good shepherd who cares for his flock, a savior who dies and takes up his life again, and a king in the line of David. Praise God for Jesus, our shepherd, our savior, and our king. This is who we follow. This is who we put our faith in. So we've talked about thieves and robbers. We've talked about the gatekeeper, and, and now we've talked about the shepherd. We know how to recognize a thief or robber, to look out for those who sneak into the fold or over the wall, who avoid the gatekeepers, who don't use the door, who don't teach the true gospel. We've talked about the responsibility of the gatekeeper, our role, and what you need to look for in a gatekeeper so that you know that you can trust them. And we've talked about Jesus, the shepherd, who loves his sheep, who lays down his life for his sheep, and who was prophesied about specifically to take on the role of shepherd, savior, and king. So what about the flock? Going back to John 10, in the last part of this passage, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. So what does this passage tell us about the flock? Well, first of all, it tells us that we are his, that he knows our name, that he leads us. This is our identity. Secondly, it tells us that we know his voice. So we know what shepherd to follow. This is the whole, the whole idea of who can you trust. And thirdly, it tells us that the flock doesn't listen to strangers, that we have some kind of wisdom or discernment that allows us to know which is the shepherd and which is the stranger. 
So let me go through these really quickly. And, and let me just start with this. Brothers and sisters, he knows your name. He will provide for you. He will rescue you. He will heal you. He will lead you to good things. It all starts with that. It doesn't start with us. It starts with Jesus. You can trust him to be a good shepherd. We are his. We are people of his flock. So then it says we'll know his voice. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it'd be easier if I could actually audibly hear God's voice, right? Or at the minimum, like angels would show up and tell me the things that God wants me to know. How can I know the shepherd's voice if I don't get to see him face to face or hear his voice out loud? Reminds me of a joke. There's a guy in a flood and he prayed that God would save him. And a fire truck came down the street that was already in a foot and a half deep of water and said to the guy, hey, we're here to rescue you. And the guy said, no, God's going to save me. And so the truck drove off. And so then a boat came down the street. The water's now 10 feet high. The guy's on the second floor of his house. And the guys in the boat say, come on, we're here to save you. And he says, no, God's going to save me. So hours later, he's on the roof. The, roof. the water is almost up to the top and a helicopter comes and they drop a ladder to him and they say, climb up the ladder so we can save you. And he says, no, God's going to save me. And he drowns and he gets to heaven and he says to God, why didn't you save me? And God said, I sent you a truck, a boat and a helicopter. What more did you want? We look for, we do not recognize the miraculous in the everyday. We don't see all the places that God speaks to us. And some of it is so obvious. Let me give you three quick ways, a truck, a boat, and a helicopter, three quick ways that you can hear God's voice. And none of these will be a surprise to any of you. There's no secret knowledge here. The first one is reading the word. You can read the inspired words of the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, it says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You can read the word of God. You can hear his voice. It's right here. If you ignore it, then you're ignoring the primary source that we have to hear God's voice. But he wrote it down. It's a lot of words. And it's all true. Spend time reading the word and you can hear the voice of God. Not only, though, can we read his words, but we can actually talk to the author. In Isaiah 65, 24, he says, Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. God is, God is listening to our, to our prayers before we even pray them. He's answering them before we've even spoken to them. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, he says, Don't be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You can hear God's voice just by praying. And finally, you can hear God's voice in the counsel of brothers and sisters. Let me ask you a question. Would you love to talk to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Wouldn't you love that? Like after the furnace, not before. Or talk to Daniel like after he came out of the lion's den? There are people in this church who have been through fiery furnaces. There are people in this church who have been in dens of lions. Go find them. Young, young men and women, talk to the older men and women. They've, there's stuff that people have been through in this church. And you know what? Here's the funny thing about it. Is some, of the, some of the people I talk to that have been through crazy things, they, they don't even realize it. They're like, oh, well, I just, you know, God was just faithful. Like, it's just nothing. It's like Daniel coming out of the lion's den going, I don't know. I mean, they were kind of smelly cats, but it was cool. Like, no, 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 you, you should have been devoured. No, I mean, I guess God was just faithful. No, 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 like, that's a, that's a big deal. There, there are Daniels and there are Shadrachs and Meshach and Abednegoes. And na- name your biblical character that's been through trials. They are in this church and they are here to offer you counsel, to offer you friendship, to offer you what Titus 2 talks about with older men training younger men and older women training younger men, younger women. This is the counsel of brothers and sisters. Through God's word and through prayer and through the counsel of brothers and sisters, we can hear God's voice. We can know his voice. And then finally, don't listen to strangers. In this day and age, there's no shortage of experts and scholars. Everybody has a YouTube channel. In Matthew 7, 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And in Acts 20, 29, Paul is talking to the elders and he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. We looked at that earlier. So here's the test. Is their teaching or writing consistent with scripture? Do they take verses out of context? Or, does it, or do they tell you that it doesn't mean what you think that it means? Do they claim that they have some unique insight that almost no one else has about scripture? Whenever somebody says that they discovered something about the Bible that nobody else has ever known, run as fast as you can. If it's somebody from this church, run to one of us so that we can go talk to them. But there, but there are endless opportunities for you to find false teachers in this day and age. You have to have wisdom and discernment to know God's voice so that you'll know a stranger's voice and you will run away from it. I had a woman in my office a few years back who came to me and she said, hey, I just got invited to join this small group of, of women. And I'm like, well, that's great. You know, I could tell her something wrong. And she's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I, don't, I don't really know if it's a good idea or not. And I'm like, well, I mean, being in a small group with other godly women sounds like a good idea to me. You're gonna study scripture? Yeah, we're gonna study scripture. I said, well, then what's bothering you? And she said, the woman who wants to lead the group told us it's just going to be us and the Bible. Now, that sounds good, right? 
But when she asked a few more questions, what she really meant was, it's going to be me telling you what the Bible means. And she had the discernment to realize that this woman was a wolf. This woman was a thief and a robber. She was not out for anyone's interest but her own. And so she stayed away from the group. And a couple months later, she came back to me and she said, boy, am I ever glad that I didn't get in that group? All these women that got in that group are really messed up now. And they're coming and asking me what to do. And I'm like, what are you telling them to do? She said, I'm telling them to run, to get away from this woman. And that's what they did. There's nothing new under the sun. There's no secret knowledge. The last mystery has been revealed. It's the gospel. God saves wretched sinners like you and me, and he sees our sins no more. We are washed clean. We are covered in robes of Christ's righteousness. Don't add anything to it. You'll only make it dirty. So I think, to wrap us up here, I think that most Christians really do understand that Jesus is our Savior and even our King. But I think a lot of times what we as Christians have a hard time understanding is that he is our shepherd. So what do I mean by that? Well, God being our Savior, that's, that's future focused. When I die, in the end times, at the final judgment, I know I'm going to stand before the throne of God and say, I'm here because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I think every Christian in this church would go, yeah, absolutely. I totally get that. And then I think we get Jesus as king. We say, oh yeah, he is the ruler over the church. He, he is the arbiter of, of, uh, of, of right and wrong. You know, he's our king. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to live in his kingdom. But that's out there. Jesus is our shepherd. That's every day. Jesus is your shepherd moment by moment. It's not just when we all get to heaven. It's morning by morning. Jesus is here to rescue you from sadness and despair now. He's here to bring you security in the face of fear today. He's here to help you when a tragedy strikes, whenever it happens. It's strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Not some far off time at judgment. Not after I die. Not even when I get older. Jesus is our shepherd Every day, minute by minute, he leads us if we'll listen to his voice. So this is my challenge to you. Live as a member of the good shepherd's flock now. Don't try and find your own pasture. Don't try to get yourself out of the ditch. Don't try to fight off the predators by yourself. I mean, he'll save you, even if you try to do it by yourself, because he loves you, but it's going to be a lot harder and a lot more painful than it needs to be. And so this is, this is my promise, and I think I speak, I know I speak for Jesse and Tim as well. We're going to be the best gatekeepers we can be. We take the role of under-shepherd as seriously as we possibly can take it. We will stand at the gate, and we'll protect the door, we're going to do our best to keep robbers and thieves from coming over the wall. We are going to try to help all of us know the shepherd's voice and to hear it clearly. We'll defend you. We'll grab them by the beard and do whatever we have to do to keep us all safe. 
Not by our own power. Not by our own goodness. Not by our own strength. But by the strength of the Holy Spirit. Because he's a good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He loves you. And so do we. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you love us so much. With all the authority that the Father gives you, you choose to lay your life down for us. With all the authority that you have, you pick it right back up again. Death cannot defeat you. If death can't defeat you, how could wild animals and beasts defeat you? How could thieves and robbers defeat you? We know they can't. And Lord, we know that even though we believe in you as our Savior, we believe in you as our King, we don't always trust you as our shepherd. And Lord, it's, it's, not, it's not because we... Um, want to do it on our own. We know we can't do it on our own. Lord, we just, we just need you to help us trust you more deeply. Lord, we need you to help us know your voice so that it's so familiar that when we hear it, we know exactly what it is. So that when we read your word, we understand what you're telling us. So that when we pray, Lord, we, we receive Wisdom from the Holy Spirit. And Lord, so that when we hear a stranger's voice and we recognize that's not, that's not our shepherd's voice, that's a different voice. Lord, we avoid that. We push it away. We run away from it. We don't, we don't listen to liars and thieves who would steal our joy at best and try to steal our salvation. So Lord, help us to follow you as you lead us in and out. And Lord, as we, as we talk about being a flock, now we come to this table to celebrate communion. A meal you instituted at the celebration of Passover when a lamb was sacrificed. And Lord, you were that sacrifice for us. We can't even comprehend it. But we know because of your life and your death and your resurrection of the deep and abiding love that you have for us. So Lord, help us to live for you. Help us to live with you. Help us to follow you, Lord. Until that day when we see you again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.